Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Instant Junk Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Jill. And on this episode, we'll be going to the cinema to watch Overlord, the new movie starring Wyatt Russell. We will also be looking at the Netflix exclusive, The Other Side of the Wind. And we'll be going back to 1988 to look at the family drama, Rain Man. We gotta move. We take down that tower right now. Boys, you and I are climbing it. Tibbet and Roosevelt will cover up. Oh, Corporal, wait, what about the kid? Come on, we gotta move, goddammit! They grabbed him because of us. Wait, wait. In the labs, the shit they're doing down there? That doesn't matter. They're not our mission. We take out the tower, troops come in, and deal with whatever's below ground later. Her brother will be dead by then. You forget what your job is, Private? It's about more than that now, Corporal. Do I have to drag your ass up that fucking tower? Yes, you do, because I'm not leaving him down I there. gave you an order! Our cinema release this episode is the American war horror film Overlord, directed by Julius Avery, starring Wyatt Russell and Yovan Adipo. The film's about a group of paratroopers who are shot down out of the sky on the eve of D-Day as they're on their mission to detonate a tower in a French village in order to help the war effort. Unfortunately for them, they end up in a situation that they weren't quite expecting. So where do we start with this film? On a plane. <laughs> well, that's where they started it. Um, <laughs> this is based on Operation Overlord, which was where the Allies go into sabotage Nazi radio towers so yep. that D-Day can happen. And we're basically meeting the main characters whilst they're flying over occupied France. We get very brief introductions to the characters because I think after five minutes shit goes down and yeah. they're playing yeah it's, it's <laughs> literally you you kind of join a plane in the middle of a conversation mm. and they're all just kind of spitballing off each other and then shit kind of happens yeah. and it's quite it's quite visceral for the eyes and the ears because mm. I think they try and make it a little bit as if you're well as any good film does make it as if you're there mm. so you know the plane gets hit and you're kind of catapulted into feeling like you're also a shot the soldier mm. who's on this plane. Because though you've sat there and you've gone, oh, yeah, I've watched all these characters. I think I have an idea of who they all are. When the shit actually hits the fan, you'd have no idea where anyone is, who anyone is, yeah. what's going on. And then next thing you know, you're out the door of the plane and... Whirling to the <laughs> yeah. point where you want to spew because yeah. <laughs> the way the camera angle works... Or at least for me, anyway. <laughs> and then, yeah, you hit the water and then the film kind of begins. Yes. The thing with the beginning part of this film is it does follow all the tropes of most good war films. So, you know, if you think of stuff like uh, Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers, you know, you're literally, you, you're thrown into the shit and then you've got the bit where they have to pick themselves up after they've landed in the shit and have to, you know, carry on with their mission. So this one... You, the main character has to, you know, jump out of a plane, get whirly, almost drown. Yeah. And then gets to shore and he thinks he's the only survivor. Yeah, he's looking for... Anyone. Anyone. That's but, not a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> but also, in particular, one of his friends, so before the main character drops out of the plane, he says to one of the guys that's there, like, I've got your back. I'll be there in front of you. And, you know, I'll be there. And then when he drops, he can't find him anywhere. Yeah. And then he bumps into... Corporal Ford, so Boyce, who's the main character, bumps into Corporal Ford and they witness their sergeant basically surrounded by about 10 Nazis. Boyce wants to go save him, but mm. um, Ford is like, don't be fucking stupid. There's 10 of them and there's two of us. Like, yeah, we, we ain't getting out of this if we go. Yeah, um, I think he said, what was it? He, he was dead when he hit the ground. Yeah. So 
And, you know, the sergeant knows it. That's why he's just fucking with them. Yeah. He He's basically doing his last stand, which yeah. is kind of horrible to watch. But war's not nice. It's not fluffy. No, not many people do make it back. So it, it, the film is very heavy on ensuring that you understand that not everyone will make it back. Mm. I think Corporal Ford constantly tells Boyce that Boyce is quite idealistic. And, you know, Corporal Ford is constantly having to remind him that, yeah, these might be your friends, but we all know why we're here. And the mission is more important than trying to save each other because it has to be done. Their mission is to go take out a radio tower, otherwise D-Day can't happen. So, you know, if you needed any incentive there, it's, yeah, that that big assault that we're planning on to stop the Nazis, yeah, if we don't succeed, then it ain't happening. And it also gives the film some importance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's constant, no, it's constant, like, we must do the mission, we must do the mission, but actually... They really must do the mission. They must do the mission. When you when you get through the film, you're just like, yeah, that needed to happen, yeah, regardless of anything else. Yeah, it's um, and this film does try to throw does try to throw you emotional curveballs, I think, but mostly by jump scares. No, 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 those are shit your pants moments. <laughs> there's nothing emotional about those. So. Oh no, I think there's a few of them, especially because they tend to happen in the middle of conversations. For example, where there's one where there's a conversation happening, and you're learning a little bit, and you don't tend to learn much about anyone. Mm. Like you're not le- you're not given a good enough history on any of the characters to form any true sort of mental bond. relationship or bond with them. And then there's one that's talking about what they'd like to do when the war's over Mm. and then he's gone it's you see everyone else when it happens everyone else is just absolutely in shock and you're kind of like oh and it's like a jump scare because you don't expect it and you're like oh shit and that's kind of for me it's how it happens like every time you're like learning something Mm. someone gets taken out and you're like oh fuck that one was particularly brutal because it was also the fact that you know they're all kind of they're all kind of making their own little packs with each other and it's then all of a sudden bam yeah bye fuck yeah bye fam it's just how quickly it happens as well it's literally and it's then you've got ford who is like literally you you follow this you follow this and he's straight into survival mode after like someone's just been fucking pulverized i feel that he was just constantly in survival mode i don't think that he had any other mode it was just constantly Mm. like in the before the plane got shot down he's all like you know fuck off from me yeah i'm a big fucking dick in the corner and then he's you know on the ground he's like don't save this person yeah fucking shut up yeah you've got a mission to do and then shit goes down he's like we still need to stick together because we've got a fucking mission. Like this guy, I think his motto is just constantly stick to the mission. That's all he ever really fucking says. Yeah. But then it is an important mission. So you kind of. It's probably why he was a corporal. Yeah. There was just, for the beginning half hour, it didn't really stop. I mean, you'd get a little bit of breathing space and then bang, you're back in again. And it's not until they hit the uh, village that you started to get proper breathing space and you started to get to know what it is they're going up against. Yeah, but it was also really... So I I think the pacing, was for me, was really off because it was like, in your face, this is war. Whoa, fuck you. And then it was fucking watching paint dry whilst, you know, they they meet 
Chloe, this girl, well, they don't really meet her. They pass her, she passes them, they chase her down, she takes them to her village. Mm -hmm. And then it's just drip feeding nothingness for it must have been a good 25 minutes yeah I, it gave you little breadcrumbs of what was waiting for them to do with their mission yeah i mean the aunt in the bedroom oh god <laughs> yeah aunt in the bedroom fucking creepy i mean i was like give her an asthma inhaler someone jesus yeah. fucking christ oh in the cinema someone breathing like dead <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, I felt like that, but inhale yourself. It was just, and, and it was just the sound. Luckily enough, we were in a good enough cinema that the sound was on point, and it's like, oh. Yeah, it was just, it was really unsettling. Yeah. That definitely worked. And then, you know, you meet her brother. Who's an annoying little shit. Yawn. And then you meet the Nazis that go around terrorizing the village, checking on people. Terror- the Nazi bastards, basically. Yeah, terrorising Chloe, always threatening to, like, the... Oh, God, I can't... I'm not even going to, like, try and pronounce it. But the general, that's what I'm going to call him, Wafner. Wafner. You know, terrorises Chloe to the point where it's like, you know, if you don't let me sleep with you, I'm going to take away your brother, that type of shit. Yeah. And you're just like... I mean, I was like, no, that's mean, but... They're yawn. Nazi bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yawn, 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 get to the point. Yeah some shit goes down yeah but, but then it doesn't really because then it's just like you know he goes to attack chloe that you know people step in and then it's like oh you fucked the mission go and help the other two guys who have gone off to do some reconnaissance on the mission so yeah. ford gets annoyed at boyce sends boyce off and then the film kicks back in again yeah because it it speeds up because he's getting chased by fucking dogs. He has to hide. You're like, oh, okay, I'm awake again. Shit. Yes. <laughs> and it's and of course that's when you get the actual kick in of the horror. I mean, you get a few, like I said, you get a few jump scares and you kind of get the hint of what's beyond the walls of where they need to go. Mm. The horror that's happening there. But it's only here do you actually get to the actual horror element. And this is about halfway through the film. Yeah, yeah. You're literally paint and dry horror element and some of the horror element is so dire yeah it was just it was a lot of body shock a lot of body horror it's not yeah. gory it's not well it's gory but it's not in a sense of like hostile where it's, it's not gratuitous arms it... and legs and people being ripped apart it's none of that shit no it is literally metamorphosis yeah i think is the safer word for it yeah it's um, full-on body horror there's nothing there's nothing else to it, really. Yeah. I mean, and obviously it's uh, Troper's oldest time itself. It's Nazis trying to experiment to make super soldiers. It's been done so many times before, but this is just a slightly different spin on it. Yeah. It's a really weird spin because you're kind of told what, you know, what they found to go and mm. be able to do this. And you're kind of like, yeah. right, really? Shut up. But, you know, the whole thing, like, boys finds this lab... You don't really know what's going on because he doesn't really know what's going on. You just see bit, shit and bits everywhere. Yeah, and it's you hear the screams and and everything. And it is it. What was it you said it was like? Like Wolfenstein? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's like Wolfenstein. It's even slightly a bit like Doom. Like you just expect. I don't know. It's so many corridors. You expect just to see a hand in front of you holding a gun and you know hiding in shadows. Oh, something's come around the corner. Hiding yeah. Oh, something's. Yeah, constant. there was a lot of stealthy things going on but then if you're in a nazi compound with weird screams you'd be a bit stealthy too yeah i mean i'd be stealthy but i don't know about you if i had a massive lab compound where i was building or creating something inhumane 
I would make sure there is all the lights in the world so there are no stealthy corners. Yeah. No Metal Gear Solid boxes to hide in. Yeah, but <laughs> wasn't it just a repurposed church? And It was a church basement, in fact. Yes, which really creeped me out because, like, I don't think they did any major rebuilding work for this. So is was this just a torturous church? Well, I don't know. It, I didn't even... It, they kept going on about it being a church, and it vaguely looked like a church from the outside. But when you're inside, it didn't look like a church. It just looked like a Cells. basement. It's like a fucking basement. Yeah. Like, there was no church elements. Like, you know, like, if someone's to be like, oh, this is happening in a church, there's always... An altar or something. Yeah, there's always a fucking scene where they have to go down where the stained glass is and have a show down by the altar, even in face-off, you know, they do yeah. it there. None of that. You wouldn't... They could have said that building was anywhere. They could have said it was the local town hall and it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference. I think it's... I think the only reason why they said it was a church is to give it a vague kind of supernatural element, maybe. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. That's pretty much it. But, yeah. And then... So Boyce is in there and then he finds, you know, one of the... One of his squad. And rescues. Rescues him. I spent the whole time thinking, are you going to change? Have you been corrupted? You're lying there with shit in you. Yeah. And it turned out it was just like some weird kind of feeding it like, tube. It was thing. like a needle into his fucking intestine or whatever the fuck yeah. it was. But I was just like, so how long have you been there? You can't have been there very long. They've stabbed you up with a needle, but nothing is really happening. Yeah. And now you're all right. I mean, the needle's gone all the way through. And he's, uh, you know, she's doing the, oh, I'm wounded. Oh. You know, the yeah. cliche number 379. But I just don't know how he managed to... So, you know, in order to get him out, they've got to go through a drainage system. Mm-hmm. He's got an open fucking wound yeah. ro- rummaging through a drainage system that he had to climb through at one point on his side. Yeah. I mean, he did keep the good side up, but it's a sewer. Yeah. There's infection. In yeah, yeah. Nah, he put a jacket on when he got out, you know. Yeah. Got back was... to the village, put some clothes on, he was good. Yeah. Nothing more said about the massive bored hole. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, there there are huge fucking plot gaps in this and it's there's there's scenes that weren't necessary either, I found. Like what? The uh commandant who they uh captured, the one who tried to attack. A Wafner. Wafner. Yeah. Yeah. That went on for ages. They just kept yeah. coming back to him. I was like, shoot him. Like, why are you... Keeping him alive. Yeah. There's no need for him to be alive. Just, you know, they got some information out of him. He obviously wasn't going to talk. Just fucking end him. Yeah, just get it done. But no, that's not how films work. No. We met, we touched upon the little brother who's an annoying little shit. You know, obviously he's there for plot driving reasons. and Yeah, he, but he's so he's so unnecessary like you could have driven the plot in any way you could have used chloe yeah to do what he did yeah and not have annoying child oh so basically at one point a scuffle happens one of the paratroopers gets shot the guy waffner takes paul to the lab you could have taken anyone to the lab he could have taken a fucking rock to the lab it wouldn't have mattered Paul was just so unnecessary yeah it would have probably been better to take Chloe but I'm assuming that they needed because Chloe's quite a strong female character and the only strong female character the only female character well this is the thing we briefly saw an old woman who grasped the nosy old bitch exactly yeah and the aunt who is sounded like Darth Vader yep but she's still ticking she's still roaming about yeah but that's about it you only saw a Briefly for a jump scare, that's it. Yeah. So literally your only female is Chloe. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, they probably didn't want to harm her because they need her to be... 
badass. Badass. And, and she does get pretty, you know, into it. There's times when I'm thinking, oh, are you going to die? Yeah. And she didn't. No. Which was good. Yeah. I, we we are not like that. No, she's... Thirsty. No, no, not at all. I mean, Paul, yes. Chloe, not so she can live. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, the kid was unnecessary and was just there to... But the aunt was unnecessary as well. I think if it was just Chloe in her house, she's brought them in, hidden them in the attic, kind of like that scene in Inglorious Bastards. Mm. You know, take them in, hide them. Someone's done a walkabout. Bad shit happens to you. They get angry. Vow revenge. Mm. Come and get you while sticking to the mission. Would have worked fine. I think that's the problem, though, because it's been done in other films, they have to find other elements. But then why bother sticking to even the super soldier thing? True. If you're going to work with something that's already been done... Stick it. Just go with it, you know? Yeah. There's no need for a little fucking child in it, unless there was an abundance of children at a casting one day and they went, we'll have that one. I wouldn't <laughs> have thought so for this kind of film. You'd hope not. No. Um, they just went, oh, we just need some villagers. I mean, obviously, they take the small child, so then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we've got to save child. No, we have to complete mission. No, we've got to save child. Complete mission. Rah, 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 rah. And then it's like, well, we can still do the mission and have a little bonus mission of saving the kid. Yeah, I think that was even used. Yeah. <laughs> that That very same saying. And, yeah, it just got a bit ridiculous on that one. It's just you know, save the kid because it's the right thing to do. But you're there for a fucking mission that's going to save millions of lives. So, you know, do the maths. And he was pretty damn fucking annoying. He was. But that whole bit, though, was just really irritating because it was kind of like they just had a massive shootout Mm. and now they're arguing amongst themselves and it's kind of like, well, just go and fucking get it done. Like, But I guess I suppose that's what would happen, you know. Yeah. If you're with your mates and the shootout happens and you're like, oh, no, I want to go over this way. I want to go over that way. I, I don't know. I have a lot of issues with the script in this film. Yeah, the script is a, a, is really quite fecking... Ugh. It's just dry. I mean, Corporal Ford literally only ever says... We have to do the We mesh have mesh to do the mesh-up. And that's it. And then Boyce goes around mostly looking really forlorn. yeah. And then when people do talk, it's better that they don't talk. Yeah. I mean, it's literally Ford is, uh, apart from saying, oh, we've got to do the mission or don't do that, you'll jeopardise the mission. It's, oh, I'm going to torture this guy now. And it's like, well, that's not anything to do with the mission. Yeah. And this is the thing. You don't learn anything about anyone. So you don't know why this guy... You know, at the beginning, they, they touch on, like, oh, Corporal Ford, he's been moved to our division but don't know why. And then you're thinking, oh, some story will come out soon. And then, oh, he's got a special knuckle duster yeah. fucking knife thing. Oh, now he's beating some guy with it. Are we going to get like a, a sob story or a, you know, I've lost everyone I've ever known and this is why we must stick to the mission. Yeah. You get nothing about no. this guy. I mean... And he's not even an... He's not enigmatic. He's not an enigma. No. He... So you don't care. Yeah. I mean, literally, the only good thing he does is his contribution to the end, really. Yeah. But even at that, you're kind of like... Cliche number 472. (laughs) It's like, you know, go on without me. (laughs) Uh, It's literally just, obviously, we've touched on that, you know, Nazis are making super soldiers. And, you know, there's a big duke out at the end. and They've got to blow up this tower, but they also want to blow up the lab because fuck, you know, anyone using that shit ever again. And, um, you know, obviously there's super soldiers there and there's... Uh, 
Well, Waffner himself, I mean, he gets really badly injured in the shootout and then thinks, you know, I'm going to try some of whatever the fuck this shit is that we're pumping into other people on myself. And then turns into what I can describe as Two-Face. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I have power. <laughs> he, ter- <laughs> he ter- Actually, you know what he turns into? Arnold Schwarzenegger being Two-Face. <laughs> it's exactly what he turns into is Arnold Schwarzenegger as Two-Face. If we didn't have Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee... <laughs> Fucking <laughs> if we didn't have like Batman or anything like that and we did it again, you could have Arnold Schwarzenegger as Two Face. Yeah. In this uh, I just can't even describe it. It's just so cheesy. It was so cheesy. Just, yeah. oh, all of it. And it's like the all thing is it. it's when uh Ford sees him again, it's like, haha, I'm gonna get you back for torturing me. It's like, oh for fuck's sake. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. It's and it it's that pacing again, because it's gone from hardcore plop, hardcore where they have the you know, they rush in and they go, right, the mission. And then it goes to plop again yeah, yeah. really quickly. And then you're like, okay, and then the ending. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, literally the ending was, oh, we're going to complete the mission. Which is great, mission was completed. Yeah, Uh, there's a bit of self-sacrifice, you know, because obviously... What's a mission without it? Yeah, (laughs) cliche number 592. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, you know, you've got the self-sacrifice of Ford and you've got, you know, shit going down, shit blowing up, mission complete, yay. And you've got the people who survive being you know, reassigned, and then it's just that, really. Yeah, it's, it's literally, it's gone from, it's gone like if Dust Till Dawn had a really sort of beige ending. I mean, it kind of did. Mm. But it's a case of going like, oh, war. Horror. War. Yeah. <laughs> it's as if... The war ho- is hell, war yeah. is horror. <laughs> yeah, it's like war, horrible, weird, super soldier things. We shall never speak of that again. Yeah, literally that. <laughs> Which is fair. I mean, I'd like to think that really happened. Well, no, I don't. Why? We'll never speak of it again because they're all buried under millions of tons of rubble. Yes. Never to be spoke of again. <laughs> Until some crazy bastard digs it all up. Oh, it's time to renovate and put some flats on that. Oh, God. Because <laughs> you know that's probably going to happen. Um, But, yeah, this film, you know, it's cliche to fuck. It's a classic B-movie trope fest. It's, yes. And it's got Wyatt Russell in it, and that's the, my main motivation for seeing Do you it. think that this film will become his thing? No. Oh, interesting. No. He did really well in this, but this is kind of his baby steps. So he's not in thing territory yet? Not he's not yet. in the thing yet? Not yet. I do think it's coming, though. Okay, okay. I think, in all honesty, he was he was really good in this film. And he did do well with what he had, which was a paper-thin plot. Not much. Script. And yeah. I think all the actors did really well with what they had. Yeah. I, we can't deny that. Even though I've just torn it a new one, I did enjoy the film. I, I went in there knowing this would be a B film. And I knew that every single trope would probably be stamped on. But it did it in a way that didn't annoy me as much. Yeah. I, I got annoyed at bits of it, but it wasn't as terrible. When I came out, I was like, oh, it was really bad. Then I went away and thought about it, and I thought, I've seen worse this week. It's worth a watch. Yeah, definitely. If you've got the time and cash to spare, 
do go see it in the cinema. It, there's worse ways to pass a rainy day. Or if you really can't be asked going to cinema, at least invest in renting it or getting it on desk. It, it's, it's, it's a fun watch. It's worth the support. Yeah. We're all ruled by the wind, aren't we, lady? So if uh, the Lord is a lady and God's will is her will, then we can all relax and stop expecting the universe to be logical. You heard the man, lady. We're right back where we started. Back to Mama. Now that's when Brooks sees at his best. And he's using straight Hannaford dialogue. Gee, that's real nice, Jack, coming from you. This episode's streaming content review is The Other Side of the Wind, the final film by Orson Welles, picked up by Netflix. I, I, I don't even know where to start with this because I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't finish it. I didn't even get halfway through it. I sadly sat through the whole damn thing. How many attempts did it take you to sit through the whole damn thing? Four. I'm sorry. That's just four attempts I'm never going to get back. It's not a short film either. No, it's over two hours. <laughs> and it's just, obviously it's meant to be a satire. It's a mockumentary satire, which is a bit meta because obviously this came from Orson Welles' Exile. Mm. He, this was meant to be his comeback, if, I'm, if yep. I've got it right. Yep. And obviously the film is about a director making a comeback. So obviously he's a bit of wink, wink, nudge, nudgery there. I remember... You were hyped about this because it was Orson Welles. And Orson Welles does have a good rep. He brought a Citizen Kane. Yeah. Enjoy a bit of that. Yeah. But there's just something about this film. And it might be because it was other people's hands over it. And filmmaking isn't like building Ikea furniture. You can't just follow instructions and expect it to be like the picture shown. Mm. It's each filmmaker, each writer has a vision in their head. And it's a very straight and narrow vision of how they expect this to mm. be. And I don't think other people can get the same effect. It's just a difficult watch. It was just, I just don't understand what he was trying to get across. Obviously, it was a satire, and it was obviously a satire about filmmaking during the time, which would have been the 70s. And that was when people were doing uh, shocking things for shocking sake, which makes sense about the actual film within the film that was the filmmaker was making. There was gratuitous sex, gratuitous tits, gratuitous everything. There's obvious fucking digs at people there obviously of the kind of I, w- I want to say avant-garde directors of the time but it's pretty much most of the directors of the time I mean the 15 minutes that I managed to sit myself through it was just a lot of nothing it was a lot of here's some boobs here's some people talking about nothing here's half a conversation over here yeah. here's some footage of some people and there was nothing linear and I don't always expect linear especially not from Orson Welles no. he doesn't need to be linear yeah you know, it doesn't make a good film. It doesn't have to happen. But it was just so intense in the, I don't know what the fuck's happening. Yeah. The mockumentary part is about the director, Jake Hannaford, and his birthday party where he's going to be showing the unfinished film he's making, which is The Other Side of the Wind. When you first go in, you've got everyone's making a documentary about it. Everyone's making a documentary about different elements of the documentary making. And it's just that kind of chaos that's not even tried to be controlled. And so you have that element of everyone's recording, everyone's filming, everyone is taking a record of what's happening within these 
24 hours. You go further in and you find out that the production's actually in chaos because the main star has walked off, offset the director upset him the key people don't really say all that much apart from jake hannaford who speaks like he's fucking an emperor (laughs) to his fucking lackeys and rimmers and there's so much rimming of that man by all of these little hanger-ons and it just gets nauseating i mean is it one of those things where you know as you got further in that you think oh i'm getting it and i can see the satire or did you really have to sit there and like concentrate to find out what it was that they were trying to satirise? I mean, was it obvious? Was it... It's, you had to think about it because maybe it was a bit self-satirising. This was meant to be awesome. It was a big comeback. It's all caught in limbo. But you can tell there's swipes happening. He's having digs at people. Okay. And I think too much time has passed on this. So the digs aren't really relevant. So I suppose it's a case of... Is this film too late? Oh, hell yeah. Is it too late for this film? It's definitely. It's just chaotic as well. That's the, that's the key thing. There is a lot of chaos in this film because there is so much going on. You don't get bored, but you do just sit at the screen going, I have no idea what I'm meant to be following now. You know, this director is having his 70th birthday. He's getting immensely drunk. He's got all of these arse lickers around him. He's got all of these documentarians and recording people around him, documenting every single move that he makes. You find out that, that, you know, the production's gone broke. He needs money. The film may never be finished because everything's falling down around him. And it's just, this has been done. And the film within the film, the actual film that Jake Hanford's making, The Other Side of the Wind, is just artistic pompous bollocks. There is no merit to it. And I think that was part of the dig. There was no merit to the film. But we know that films of the 70s aren't looked upon favourably nowadays. They're very of their time. Yes. I mean, especially the films that this one's satirising, because obviously it was the gratuitous sex, the gratuitous tits everywhere, uh, not much dialogue, it's all artistic shots, and there was one bit in the actual film where the main star is giving this lady a doll, and the first thing she does is pull down its pants, and I'm like... Really? (laughs) What's that meant to symbolise? Yeah. Previously, before that, she goes into unisex toilets and everyone's just banging each other and it's like... It just sounds like a load of symbolism. Like, it's a film made of meta and symbolism. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I said, this is meant to be a satire. He's obviously having digs at certain filmmakers of the time who were making this gratuitous bollocks. But... Maybe there is a reason why it never got off the ground. It was basically stuck in fucking uh, development hell. Maybe there was a reason for that. And maybe, just maybe, it shouldn't have seen the light of day. I think this sounds like it's... I mean, I took from the very small portion of it that I watched is that it's kind of for the hardcore Orson Welles fan. Like, if you're... If you've watched all the rest of his shit and you want to be that person who says you've watched it all... Maybe it might be up your street, or if you're maybe one I, of those art film people. I think this is mainly for the art film people, and I am not an art film person, so I was my back was instantly up on this one with yeah. with the fucking gratuitous fucking fingering of dollies. This isn't my cup of tea at all. And I mean, it's great that you came out of your comfort zone. Like, yeah, I mean, I didn't like it. I don't think it needs to exist. But you know what? This will be for someone. And this, I very much feel it's for the kind of avant-garde arty people, the kind of people who want to watch Polish 
ballet dancers fight Nazis or something. I I don't know. I know what you mean. So those those people that like to watch silent films that have a lot, a lot of symbolism and you're just like, okay. Yeah. And you know, (laughs) I think that's the crux of this film. It's all about the symbolism. It's like we're seeing someone in, it's his final day. You you know, you know in the beginning that he died after his birthday. He wrapped his car around something. Well, he died in a car crash. Yep. And basically you're chronicling his last 24 hours. It is basically just watching him drink himself into a stupor challenge authorita is it worth the watch i mean is it one of those things where you would say to someone give this a go give it a go or try again i, I will never try this again okay it took me four <laughs> tries to get through it i'm not going to fucking do this again <laughs> to me this is just a massive fanny fart in all honesty well, i'm sure they would have liked that they might have some symbolism in it this will appeal to a certain cinema goer or a certain film lover this ain't for me and you know i'm not gonna damn people who like this you know what you've got your tickle you've got your cup of tea more power to you but i didn't need to see this and in my opinion it doesn't really need to be near me i can only apologize I chose it only because it was Orson Welles and I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. I was excited because obviously you've got shit like Citizen Kane, but also I love the fact that he scared an entire fucking nation. This guy is a fucking genius in my eyes. But this, this, this isn't genius. I I think it would have been better if we'd, if he'd finished it in its time and then we could understand. You know what? I am kind of hoping that it is just a case of it just came out at the wrong time. I think maybe if this did come out when it was supposed to, it would have been very much a a relevant dig that was needed at the time. But the problem is those digs have already been had. So this is literally coming in and kicking a dead horse. Yeah. And that's a problem. Well, I won't try and watch it again. This is very much for a avant-garde, arty cinema goer. That's my personal opinion. So, you know, if that's how you get your kicks, go for it. So it's a big thumbs down from us. Well, from me. Well, it's clearly a thumbs down from me because I didn't even bother. I tried five, (laughs) six times (laughs) and I still can't get past the first 15 minutes. But if that's your bag, fucking have your fill. Or if you're curious to see what truly broke us. (laughs) Hey, I sat through it. And now you're broken. I'm not broken. I'm just... Listeners, she is sat here with a 50,000 miles stare. (laughs) whilst talking about this film she is if she doesn't feel broken she is broken sorry about the two picks 82 82 82 82 what how much is this toothpicks it's a lot more than two toothpicks right 246 total what change right how many toothpicks are you 250 Pretty close. Come on, let's go, Ray. 246. There's four left in the box. This episode's Review Rewind is Rain Man, the 1988 film starring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. It's about a yuppie who finds out that he's got an older brother who has autism. Pretty much it. Yeah, it's, it's quite succinct. And I don't know, I feel yuppie was a kind way of saying absolute cunt. But let's start at the beginning, as I always enjoy doing. Yeah. 
So we meet Tom Cruise, who plays Charlie Babbitt, who I, I, I don't know what he does for a living. I was putting it out there. I think he's... He's meant to be a car dealer. Oh, but he's what, shit at it. He's shit at it. And he's a bit of a shyster. He's very shysty. Yeah. He's Teaching his shystum. Yes. He is the most horrible human being ever. He makes Hitler <laughs> look forgivable. He's but he plays this absolute twat, yuppie cunt who is there's no redeeming qualities about him at all. No, and he finds out his dad's passed on. This all happens quite quickly in the beginning. Yeah, he finds out his dad's passed on. He was estranged from his dad because he's a cunt, and he goes to his dad's house with his girlfriend who. Is played by, and I keep calling her Romana because <laughs> I've only ever seen her in Hot Shots. <laughs> so to me, she will always be Romana from Hot Shots. But I know she's got a real name. I know she's got a real name. But she plays Susanna in this film, uh, who's his girlfriend, long-suffering. Yeah. Don't know why she's with him. She could do so much better. She could do. It took her a while to realise this in the film as well. But then she comes back. And... Yes. They go to his dad's estate. His dad seems to be a wealthy yeah. man. Yeah. I don't know what his dad did for a living, but he's wealthy. He's probably a really nice guy. Well, he seemed it. He loved his rose bushes, apparently. He yeah. had very good rose bushes and this obscene car. I mean, it's not obscene but if, if you're into cars. But to me, it's a car. It looked ugly. It was an ugly beige car. Yeah. Very 80s. Uh, but it was, I think it was like a 1950s thing. Mm. Anyway, he goes there to basically listen to this will reading to see how much his dad's left him because his dad's got stupid money. Finds out that his dad also thought he was a massive cunt. <laughs> left him the fucking car that caused their rift and some rose bushes and put the rest of it in trust, which winds up Charlie Babbitt. And he goes around basically... I guess trying to figure out what this trust is because no one's willing to tell him. No. But he uses his shifty ways to mm. worm his way into people and find out and then goes to this home. I don't want to call it an asylum. It's not an asylum. No. It's, 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 a, a, it's a care facility. It's a care facility. And he goes to this care facility to because he's found out who the trustee is. It's a doctor who's there. And he tries to get the information out of the doctor. Doctor tells him to fuck off mm. in you know no short terms and he you know doesn't like it. he goes outside and finds dustin hoffman's character raymond in his car sitting next to his girlfriend talking about how he's driven the car before how his dad used to let him drive the car up and down the driveway so to everyone else that's watching you all immediately go Mm, see what's going on here that's your brother isn't it he's got the money uh tom cruise being the idiot that he is doesn't quite get it until someone yells in his face that that is your brother yes and then apparently it's a comedy hilarity ensues I, when <laughs> i don't know it's described as a comedy comedy drama i yes. believe is what some describe it as there's there's some funny moments but they're mostly led by dustin hoffman's character yeah raymond yeah, and I, you know, with modern eyes, they're not actually that funny. No, no, they're really not. The whole film is of its time. I think we've yes. had medicine has progressed since then. Understanding has progressed since then. Raymond has autism. Mm -hmm. They call him a savant. Yes, and he, you know, he he, he has high level functioning, high level high functioning autism which renders him unable to form proper relationships with people. Yeah. 
And that, that's kind of where that film should end. Yeah. You find out that you have a brother who's less of a knob than you because he physically can't be one. And your dad has left him the money because you're so much of a cunt. Yeah. And that really should have been <laughs> it. But, oh, no. Oh, no, because... It goes on. Because, oh, God, because... Oh, Charlie is such a cunt. Charlie, Charlie is such a cunt. He's the most selfish... Cunt. You know, selfish, selfish, self-absorbed person ever. And you, you basically spend the whole film waiting for this learning curve to happen. And, and it doesn't? No. But in this film, he really did just embrace the, the yuppie cuntishness a little too well. And, you know, he, you just he's a whiny little fucking cunt rag fanny belch and you just <laughs> want to fucking punch him and it's like he's abusing his autistic brother and let's just be honest he's abusing him he's, he's abusing everyone he meets he's an abusive motherfucker yeah but there's an, been an abuser and there's been someone that will actually take a vulnerable person kidnap them in order to get their share of three million dollars and you know what any other film it, there would have been cop chases, it would have been guns drawn on him, and hopefully someone pulling the fucking trigger and splashing fucking Charlie's brains over a wall somewhere. But no, because this is meant to be a fucking heartwarming family comedy drama, blah, blah. Everyone fucking learns a lesson. No, he gets away with it. He, you know what? I didn't think about that. I mean, I thought about all of it, except for the fact that this guy is in this Oldsmobile, whatever the fuck it is, driving around. Anyone could have just ran his license plates and then they would have known where he is and they would have gone to get Raymond off yeah. him. But no one tries. No. There's parts where Tom Cruise is fucking screaming at Raymond. Like, it's like he's obviously getting very tetchy because obviously he's autism. He has little, you know, poor Raymond has little quirks and little... He's got his routines. And which, fucking Charlie's blown out the fucking window because he's a selfish little prick. But no, it's... No one thinks... You know what, that... That guy's been really mean to that disabled guy. Maybe we should, like, call someone. Well, even his girlfriend, so Susanna's like, she gets it immediately. She's just like, this guy just needs a caring hand and we need to continue with his routines mm. because it's better that we do that than the alternative. Charlie's just like, my money, where's my money? This guy got my money, I need my money. And then Susanna leaves him. And why does she not go and go... To the authorities. Just anyone. I don't even care who she goes to. She could go to the fucking man down the street and go, there's a cunt in there abusing a disabled man. Go kneecap him. Go shoot him. Yeah. Do it's you know America, what? they have guns. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's just nothing. There's just nothing. At no point does anything actually happen. It, there, it, there's no repercussions. Yeah. That's what really fucked me off. It's the fact that it literally he... He gets his way. I mean, he doesn't get his share of the inheritance, but he gets his way. Well, he gets his money. Yeah, and he does that again by taking advantage of his brother, the brother that actually cared for him when he was smaller. To the best of his ability. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's... In the beginning of the film, when, you know, Charlie's being cunt waffle, he's... Um, going on about oh my dad wouldn't let me do this my dad wouldn't let me drive the car even when I got good grades he still wouldn't let me but, you know basically being little entitled prick mm. and then there's this little thing where he goes on about oh when I was little I used to talk to Rain Man who was like my imaginary friend and then it transpires that you know this protective figure that he spoke to who he thought was an imaginary friend was actually Raymond but he couldn't say Raymond so he said Rain Man yeah and 
that should have been kind of an epiphany moment and there was a small fucking seed of oh shit this is this is a human being who i once loved and adored but it didn't flourish because soon afterwards he fucking found out that you know he can count cards yeah and so he took him to vegas to basically fucking railroad the casino and earn him some money yeah and it's it's just he's he's literally i think if if we could do like a villain chart i'd definitely put him up there because he is just a twat i I hazard to think, and I worry about anyone who sees a good thing in this person. As a character, let's take out Tom Cruise, throw him away. As a character, Charlie Babbitt is a cunt. He has no redeeming qualities. He's... He's nothing, and he's constantly feeling that he's entitled to things because he's done something that he feels warrants the thing. Yeah. I've got good grades. Dad should let me drive the car that I've coveted. Dad says, no, I'm going to steal it anyway. Dad tells him, you're a cunt. Get out of my house. He goes away. You know, then it's, oh, Dad's died. I'm his only son. I deserve all of the money. Even though I had no contact with him after you threw me out. You deserve fucking nothing. You're lucky your dad didn't give it to a fucking cat charity. And then it's just like, and now I found my brother and I feel that he made me have an emotional fart once and I want him back and you're just like but everyone is telling you that you found your brother you can visit him your brother has incredible needs that you can never meet to keep him with you is incredibly selfish people are telling him this but he is not listening and then the last scene is him giving away his brother but still not really giving away his brother and then it just ends yeah i mean (laughs) that was the real thing that fucked me off when we i think people do see this as the redeeming feature of the fact that he doesn't want the brother's money he just wants his brother and it's like no 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 there are implications to this that's another thing you can't have yes and it's not even the fact that it's it's lovely that you want a relationship with your brother, but it should be you want a relationship with your brother. You shouldn't want your brother around you constantly. He's not an object. He's got needs that need to be taken care of. He needs constant supervision. He's injured himself while he's been with you. He's freaked out on God knows how many occasions while he's been with you. You basically, you took him from a happy, well, yeah, he was happy there. He was quite honest. happy, yeah. You know, he was in a care facility that he was well looked after in and you just upped him and took him on this road trip, taking him away from everything that he knew and one thing he needed was stability. You're a selfish prick. Do the right thing. Let him go back to what he sees as his home. Because it wasn't like they were ever saying, you know, give him back and you'll never see him again. It was, we need to look after him. There is a reason why your your father put him in yeah. here. You need to understand, you know, your mother passed away. Your father couldn't look after him and you. Yeah. He had to give him into this care facility. Understand that. But no, if you never bothered to even listen to what your father was trying to teach you. Oh, he's just, the whole film. Is entitlement central. But, but so I had never seen this film ever until you pulled it out of the box and we watched it and anything i'd ever heard about this film before watching it it was always about dustin hoffman it was always about his portrayal with someone with autism but in watching it for me it was like it didn't matter he could have had any any disability to me the film was about charlie babbitt yeah it was about him dustin hoffman's character raymond pretty much didn't matter he was just another 
tool yeah. for this guy to use. He could have had any disability in the world. He could have been anything. He could. He didn't even have to be a person. He could have been a dog that, you know, his ex-wife took away from him mm. and he wanted and they went on a lovely buddy trip where yeah. he became Air Bud. It's, you know, it could have been anything. And I don't know, I feel like maybe, yeah, maybe I've missed a point in this, you know, about the film, but I just... I didn't pay much mind to Dustin Hoffman's character, except for the fact that he was a somewhat of a super savant. And from my understanding, and forgive me, wider world, if I have this wrong, but when you when you have high functioning autism, you don't have all of the powers of the universe. No. You can't count cards and then also go and do amazing art or go and do X, Y and X, Y, you know, and have all this memory. You tend to have just one of these elements. Or a you don't have everything. You can't be... Um, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but it just felt so overblown for a character that actually didn't really matter in this entire film. Yeah. I mean, he mattered as a person. Yeah. as a, I mean, the fact of the matter is what we got angry about was the the treatment he received. So as a person in, in this film, we do care deeply because we, we're basically seeing a disabled man being fucking abused. Yeah. I, I don't think that was actually the film's intention. Maybe we just saw it. With our fresh modern eyes. Yes. Because I hadn't actually watched this before we pulled it out of the box like you and I watched it and a complete open mind I didn't even look on Wikipedia about it I literally just went in absolute fresh and dry and I was like my god he's doing what to that guy it was always you know even if it wasn't that guy the way he treated his girlfriend I mean there was a scene at the beginning where she was in the car with him she was like basically going talk to me you don't talk to me and I kept thinking how have you been with this prick yeah like if he's not talking to you and you're literally being dragged from A to B. Mm. Why? And then why come back? She has issues. She clearly has massive issues. But yeah, I just... Yeah, the film did not sit easy with me at all. And it was literally because of the the abuse elements. Let's be honest about this. There was It, it was not a heartwarming family film. No, and you know what? It's, I think... It was like misery. It was like misery with a poor disabled person it was just watching someone being held captive yeah which was really quite disturbing really yeah. it's horrible I, you know what i actually all in all enjoyed watching it mm. and all the emotions that came with watching it it was quite good to be invested yeah but you know 65 on metacritic it deserved a lot and all more. those awards dustin hoffman deserved an award for putting up with that Hans Zimmer though no sorry Hans Zimmer that's the weakest soundtrack I've ever had to listen to do not use pan pipes anymore electronic or otherwise but 65 on Metacritic I'd no yeah no no, no. no. much much lower about 40 I could go with that I could go with that and that thought that thought that's probably what solid for Dustin Hoffman's mm. character yeah and for the script writers for confusing me to whether or not Tom Cruise is an arsehole or is an arsehole. There's two different types of arsehole. Watch it again, people, and tell us what you think. And that's it for episode seven of the Instant Junk podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sam. And I'm Jill. See you later.